Let's take a moment to gather ourselves. Lord, we, uh, we hear the words of the psalmist. We hear the words, your words, Lord, through the psalmist that invite us to be still and know that you are God. To be still and know that you are God. And so help us, Lord. Help us. Church, if you are in agreement that it's a good thing to open the scriptures, would you read along with me this simple liturgy? As we open our Bibles, we also open our hearts that these words of truth may fall upon the very fabric of our lives. May these ancient scriptures come alive within us to inspire and to heal and to cleanse and to teach and to restore and to guide our hearts and minds. Lord, come, weave your words of life in us. May we all feel safe with each other, safe to think and safe to question, safe to ask for help, and safe to share our lives with you, our loving and heavenly Father. And everybody said, amen. I want to begin in a funny place. We're going to be doing a series this summer on rest. Does that feel good to anybody else? Yeah. Should I grab another mic? Before we jump in here. Um, rest. And so this, this theme of rest, as we, um, I'll, I'll give a few teachings and we're going to be able to listen to a number of teachers here in our own community and outside over the summer. We'll take a pretty large banner, like we'll take a pretty wide swath at this idea of rest. Talking about cultivating joy. How do we cultivate practices that lead us into deeper peace? We're going to talk about play. It's not just going to be like six, seven weeks on Sabbath. We want to talk about the specific practices and way in which God invites us into um, these spaces that the psalmist describes as like being led beside still waters. And that the Lord restores our soul and that better is one day with God. Like there is something so right and grounding and centering about being with the Lord and in his presence. So we're going to utilize the Psalms as our jump off, as our, as our starting spot. And there are imprecatory Psalms, right? Psalms that are like, how could they? And there are psalms that are full of doubt. God, where are you? What on earth? And then there are those psalms that are like balm to your soul. Like, I would like to be led beside still waters. That sounds really, really nice in this season. Because as we, you know, gear up for a new ministry season in the fall, and as we enter into like a healthy cycle of the life of the church— if we are not rooted in the holy rest of God, we don't have much to offer the world. And when things like epic decisions that come down from the Supreme Court this week, or when there is another shooting, or when there is more like explicit like X, Y, or Z happening in the world, when brokenness and anxiety and ache come at us, are we people who are rooted in, in who God called us to be, children of God, like we sang today? And are we people rooted in the rest that Jesus invites us to? And so those are the Psalms we're going to be looking at this summer. And as a point to begin here, we're going to start with Psalm 1. But before we get there, I was struck by this passage in Ephesians 5. And um, this is kind of a funny place to start. But this verse just leapt off the page as I was going through Ephesians. And it's right on the tail end of describing 
um, how men and women should roll together in their family. And this is the section where it's like inviting men to lay down their life, right? There's this mutual submission in Ephesians 5. Women, lay down your life, submit to your husbands. Husbands, submit to your wives. You're the, and then there's this discussion about men sort of playing this role of like, in a way of like Christ laid his life down, you should lay your life down. And in that section, in 529, the sort of like one of the reasons for this Paul offers to the men is this, for no one, like obviously like care for her, lay your life down for her, for no one ever hated his own flesh. Right? Paul just got done saying you guys are one in some way that you guys are now one in a way you weren't before. For no one ever hated their own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Now, to be very clear, this verse is not like the starting point necessarily for a long sermon series about rest, or shouldn't be. But what I love here is that Paul's rationale in describing marriage and describing this relationship of oneness and what it means to regard your spouse's body almost as your own. Obviously, you would care for your own body and self and soul, so you should for them just like Christ does for the church. Is this kind of rationale comes up again and again and again in scriptures, right? You should love others just as you love yourself. There can be a propensity sometimes in the way of Jesus because there are these invitations to surrender, because there is a natural edge that pushes back against um, a sort of hyper-exaggerated self-care movement in our world right now. Um, that we go, no, we are called to a way of being in the world that involves surrender and of laying down our lives and of, of choosing love, not just choosing convenience. And there is a moment to sacrifice and pick up your cross. We can always be in danger in any discussion of not seeing the whole gospel and the whole scriptures and the whole picture. And if anything, Paul is inviting here us to consider, you don't hate your body, do you? Like, you'd want to nourish it cherish it and feed it and so as quirky and odd as a way to start maybe that this is I, I want this to sort of be our guiding light that over the next seven eight weeks we're going to spend time like cherishing our minds and cherishing our bodies and cherishing our souls here as we open the word and look to places in the scripture where we are invited to to, to allow God to nourish us and to embody practices that lead us into rest so that we may people who both rest well so that we may lay down our life. That we might receive the great blessing that it is to be with God and be people who then pour out that blessing on to others. And so Psalm 1 will be the psalm we start in. Psalm 1, I'm going to start in verse 2. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. In the middle of the pandemic, um, I had this image that kept coming up. And as I was preparing to start this series, it, it struck me again is where do the scriptures start when it comes to rest and nourishment and replenishment? in a wake of heartache and anxiety and depression and loss and pain. 
What does it mean for us? Like, how, how does God instruct us to bear fruit in times like this? And in the pandemic, the image that I got was, was right in the middle of the winter, and it was this image of an evergreen, all right? And it wrapped up right in the name of an evergreen is a tree that whether it is summer or whether it is winter, it's still what? It's still green. And I had written this in my journal, like, I don't think that a blizzard, a lot of people were talking about the pandemic like it was a blizzard, like a storm. And I don't think a blizzard was the right metaphor. It was almost like a winter. And even as we have emerged from the pandemic, there is a definite shift. It was like all of these unhealthy things in our culture seem to get accelerated. The tribalism, the division the inability to talk to one another, the utter ridiculousness of finding out what's actually true and what's actually false. This is a long and uncertain season. This isn't a blizzard that we are in right now. This is a winter. And so how do we stay evergreen? How do we, trees that don't become bare and lifeless in winter, how do we keep our color and keep providing shelter and, and be this unchanging the person aligned with God. How do we, as the psalm says, be a person like a tree planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither? So today, I got three really simple things I want you to consider. One is um, what to do. Two is when to do it. And three is our posture through it. So if we're to be evergreen, if we're, if we're to be like trees planted by streams of living water, this psalm invites us to do three things. And I think this is the starting point throughout all of Scripture. One is to meditate. Like meditate on the word. Two is how, when do we do it? Day and night. A regular rhythm of it. And how do we do it? What is our posture? Well, we do it by delighting. So one, meditate. Now, the law that's described here is a way of talking about, again, the scriptures. These are accounts, and stories, and songs, and laments, and all these letters that reveal God at work. This is why we open the scriptures every single week. We're told, just as a reminder to all of us, because I know 90% of us here as followers of Jesus go, yes, scriptures are good. But just to remind you of some things about the scripture, we're told that all of scripture is for our instruction, all of it. Like we, we need to not just read to study it, which is incredibly, incredibly important, but there is this invitation actually in a number of places to meditate on it, which is like fixing your mind on a truth. It's speaking to your own heart about it. I've struggled in the past, and I'm not like categorically against these things. My, my wife is actually literally going through this right now. I think they can be really helpful. But sometimes the like read the Bible through a year thing can be very problematic because it can be just sort of a, I'm somehow like involved in, a, in an agreed upon magic trick by just reading a bunch of texts and getting through this. It's somehow in any way having an effect on my own heart and soul. And so to meditate or to fix our eyes on it, to speak to our own heart about it, is to actually say, I, I trust that there's something about these words that can impact and shape who I am. And so when we talk about meditation, I think in this day and age, we often think about the Eastern form of it. Eastern meditation is about trying to get yourself sort of into a certain mental space. 
And Eastern meditation, for all the ways that it's very interesting, is, is again, very different. It's literally about emptying your mind of thought. It's about being sort of open in general to the universe, which brings so many assumptions about whatever the universe is. Emptying your mind is super tough because you cannot, anything we've learned from modern psychology is you cannot really escape yourself. You are being directed, even if by yourself. And the father of Jesus would just sort of say, your heart also is incredibly fickle. And so Christian meditation is about filling, not emptying. It's about focusing on outside, on like the good and the true and the beautiful that we actually find in Scripture. It's not an inward fixation on whatever we happen to be feeling or processing. It's about focusing our attention on words and the promises of God. It's about focusing your mind on the truth and speaking to yourself. And we're told that it's there when we meditate, that like God actually mediates his presence in our lives. So a word for you that we've talked about, I remember years ago, there's this Hebrew word uh, in, the, in this passage in Isaiah, uh, or the word actually here in the Psalms too, is this word haga. Can you say haga? Haga. Um, there's another place that's used in Isaiah 31. As a lion growls a great lion over its prey, and though a whole band of shepherds is called together against it, it is not frightened by, the cl- by their shouts or disturbed by their clamor. The Hebrew word for growls is the exact same word, haga. Now, in Hebrew, this isn't confusing. Words have multiple meanings, and the context unlocks whatever that meaning is. There are literally less words in Hebrew. But it has been pointed out that Haggai is like an onomatopoeia, right? Like the word, anyone remember what, like, I remember ninth grade English? Like honk, or beep, or crash, or band, or hiss. In other words, you say, like, the word actually sounds like the very thing it describes. You say the word haga with a fierce tone. You get a little roll of the G in your voice. One writer says it should sound like a deep murmuring growl of a lion hunched over its prey, proclaiming to the world around that, like, I have just killed this animal and I mean business. May your meditation... The text is saying here, may your haga on God's word bring to mind like what? Like may your study in God's word bring to light a super cute Instagrammable setup where you spend a few minutes in the word over like a cup of coffee. Like, like the, the image here is not one of, um, of standing at a distance. The psalmist speaks of a person who devours the text with a fierce and hungry appetite. Meditation then is like taking the truths of God and like pressing them down into your heart. Like pushing them down until they catch fire. My daughter uh, just read My Side of the Mountain. I don't remember, remember this book. Nobody? Anybody my side of the mountain fans, I was obsessed with this. It's basically a story of like a boy who, I can't even remember what leads him to taking off into the woods, but le- takes off into the woods um, and he's living on his own. He's got to figure out how to survive off the land and he's got a flint and steel. 
And so my, my daughter, my eight-year-old, has been obsessed with this book, and she wants to do a camping trip, Dad, where we forage for mushrooms, and we, like, make fire on our own, and we, like, you know, go hunting on our own. And I'm like, well, maybe we'll bring some backup food, too. And she's like, no, Dad, we got to do this. I'm like, cool, we might not survive the night, but I'm in. Anyway, she gets flint and steel, and we're, like, by the fire pit the other night trying desperately to get this to light. And my forearm still aches from making this happen. I don't know if it was just like it's a rough flint and steel or it really is just like as hard as you think it is. But there is like, I mean, I'm hunched over just at a like absolutely insane rapid pace, digging both down into the flint and pushing it as hard and fast as possible. So I'm getting sparks to fall on this like newspaper and kindling. This is the image. It's like press the word of God down. It's like keep pushing so hard until it catches fire. Here's why I say this to a groom of people who are like, yeah, 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 meditate on the Lord. Yeah, yeah, spend time in the word. Yes, I spend time in the word. This is directly connected to you being like a tree planted by streams of living water. If you want to flourish and move into the sort of rest and joy and fruit that God wants to see happen, Hagah the word. Dig down into it. Let the promises of God actually take root. Move beyond cognitive ascension. I want to be real with you. There have been seasons in my life where I am doing constantly trying to come up with interesting intellectual takes as I'm studying the word and not allowing the word to take a grip in my heart. It is the greatest sin of the pastor and it happens all the time. I share that with you vulnerably because like I hope you're not sitting there going, yeah, 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 I got it, I got it, I got it. Maybe some of you do. But to be reminded again that we need to have a regular rhythm of allowing the promises of God to take hold. One way that can look like is like literally as simple as we did today. That reflection that we did was something I did in my journal this past week. And so this beautiful Josh Garrels version of No Longer Slaves, like, like I put this on and I'm listening to these questions being read to me. And I'm taking, I know that I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am a child of God. Cool. How much impact could that really have on today? Upon writing that out in my journal, upon then taking actually a few minutes, kind of looking out over the, you know, over Providence, sitting on the bridge, this just began to take root as I began to write, God, where do I not trust that I'm a child of God? What does it mean to be a child of the Lord? He led me to a couple scripture passages and I read them again. I asked myself some of the most basic questions all over again. And by the end of, I'm telling you, maybe 12 minutes of time, God was unearthing things around a conflict that I have in my life that is kind of breaking me and making me just like, just really, just really difficult thing happening. And God is like, you know who I say you are? You know how you're like, you, this is spilling over onto your kids. This is spilling over onto your wife. Are you aware of this? Are you aware of how much you are distrusting? How much I, you, I am yours and you can let this go and entrust this to me? Again, I just want to be vulnerable in front of you that just taking 15 minutes and pounding or flinting, stealing this, this text and this reminder and allowing myself to meditate on this, what this unlocked in me. Brendan Manning says this, because we approach the gospel with preconceived notions of what it should say rather than what it does say, 
the word no longer falls like rain on the parched ground of our souls. It no longer sweeps like a wild storm into the corners of our comfortable piety. It no longer vibrates like sharp lightning in the dark recesses of our non-historic orthodoxy. The gospel becomes, in the words of Gertrude Stein, a pattern of pious platitudes spoken by a Jewish carpenter in the distant past. As Brandon saying, it's like we can choose to submit ourselves to the power of the word, to meditate on it knowing it has the words of life, or we cannot. We can adopt the cynicism that basically places ourselves above the scriptures so we decide what we want to grant meaning to. We've already decided what we want to grant meaning to, and we get in a difficult place of not allowing the Lord to actually impact us. You'll find it difficult, friends, to hear the voice of God if you determine which parts of the Bible you're going to let work for you. So, we don't want to hear our own voice. We don't want to be in an echo chamber. Meditation is about allowing the word to read you, as one writer says, allowing the Bible to read you. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and it's active, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. It's like that sweet reminder in Psalm 139, like you are known. I've known you forever which brings both deep conviction, like, oh my gosh, I'm known, and if I allow God to know me more, it's going to be scary. But then it's like immediately countered by the other half of you are known, which is like you are like loved anyway. You know the result of, of your deepest, darkest parts being known. And it's there when we're being honest with God that we find rest. It's there where we can start a summer being committed to rest. All right, number two. The psalmist says, you with me? It's hot, I know. You with me? With me. Day and night. The psalmist says, do this day and night. We can evaluate what we value by looking at what we do with the margin of our lives. That is my most favorite quote when it comes to spiritual disciplines. We can evaluate what we value. Figure out what you actually value by looking at what you do with the margins. What do you do at the time not taken up by work? Meals, sleep, and keeping your children alive. Some of you are like, is there something outside of that? (laughs) There is. Some of us, it's a lot less these days. But what do we do with the margin? That's where you'll see your value. Is Is your value escape? Is your value numbing? Is your value gluttony? Is your value resting in the Lord? That's how something like having epic meals and spending time laughing around a fire pit can both be indulgence and escape, and it can be like beautiful, life-giving, godly rest. Same thing, same practice. Our margin flows effortlessly to that which is our true God. Our margin reveals what we really trust will bring us relief and life and goodness. We have to see the value of the word of God for our formation, for the renewing of our hearts and minds. We have to trust its central place to call us out, to comfort us. That's what's going to make us evergreen. And the valuation will be the thing that will help us get into a rhythm of day and night. 
day and night. What are the, I just want to simply ask you, like, if you are somebody who said yes to our shared path, or you're somebody who would love to like be a part of joining the way and rhythm of life of this church, one of the things we're just trying to commit to is Bible and time with God before phone or after phone or ideally both. Before you reach over and touch your phone in the morning, you're spending time in the Word. And if your Bible and your devotional plan's on your phone, good luck. You can do it. Just like, what is it? I have somebody who got hardcore about this, by the way. I forgot to tell the story a couple of weeks ago. They like dis- figured out a way to like, you can time all the stuff on iPhone. And they like disabled a bunch of their apps like before a certain time, except for their like Bible devotional app. So it's brilliant. So they have to like override it and like face the conviction of overriding it. If they want to like look at Instagram before the Bible, this is really fun and nerdy to me. Okay, I'm going to stop. But what are our rhythms that we're going to commit to? They're not complicated. You don't need to think about it. Just decide right now, what do you want to do? And what will it, how will it help you to be able to engage in that? I want to be a person rooted in rest this summer. I'm not going to let my news feed determine the beginning of my day. I'm not going to let the algorithm that is literally feeding you, we've talked about this so much, negative news because you live in a very consumeristic the capitalistic society, bad news sells more, so the news will spit you bad news faster. And so whether it's you get news from Twitter or your Apple news feed or Reddit, I mean, these are the things that kick. This is how we're wired. Are you going to counterform yourself and let the beginning of the day being, whew, good morning, I'm a child of God. I am dearly loved. Let me be reminded of this story in Scripture or this psalm or this way that I, I know that I am or that ultimately what will come of this world, or the great hope that I have. I'm going to let that shape and carve out my day. If I want to be like a tree planted by streams of living water, I need to have a rhythm. I need to let like the beauty of God's word move me to a great value of God's word which means I have rhythms where I'm going to it whether I want to or not and allowing that to shape me and not be passively shaped by whatever happens to be in my feed or around me in my world. Lastly, number three, delight. So don't just meditate on it, but delight in it. Now, some of these scriptures are for instruction, right? How do we delight in instruction. A lot of the Bible is like, do this, don't do this. First, you delight through Jesus. He has revealed what God is really like. He fully revealed the grace of God. He's shown us what the love of God is like so we can enter into instruction with joy because we are not wrestling with instruction on how to live like for love or for acceptance. We are wrestling with instruction right like from this place. Which, if you explore that, like, it changes everything. There's nothing you need to do to earn, right, what is yours in Jesus. So you come to the word delighted and excited that God's actually parenting you. Excited. I know it sounds hard to feel sometimes excited. But it's going, wow, my God. Like, it's like looking back on the way that you were parented. If you had even semi-healthy parents, you can hopefully look back on seasons of instruction And imagine having the maturity to go, man, thank you. Thank you, mom, for that spanking. I needed that. 
I just want to rejoice in you for, for that, like for sending me to my room that many times. Thank you. Praise, praise you, mom. You knew that I needed that, right? But in some ways, what it is to delight in God is going, God, thank you that you care this much. You actually love me versus some 21st century watered-down, non-volitional version of love. So you can come to the word excited. And again, it's not all instruction. There are these songs and laments and doubts that are filled with pain and rejoicing that help us like create moments of solidarity and enter into this redemptive story. So delight in the word and you will be full of life. And the last thing I'll say about delighting is I think it's both instruction and a consequence. It's something we practice by saying, like, I'm going to have a posture of thanksgiving for the word. Some of it is just like telling yourself, I'm going to delight in God. I know I can. I don't feel like it right now. What does it mean for me to delight? But it also is a result, I think, of doing the first two parts. It's a consequence of meditating day and night. You will begin to find yourself delighting in it. I mentioned Corey um, going through, my wife going through this um, Bible in a Year app. And I can't remember the name of the app. You should go find her. She's like, loves it. It gives this commentary, I think, like after, after, after the text. And there have been so many times where either it's in the morning or in the evening, she kind of comes running into the bedroom and is like, Andrew, I'm going through Leviticus right now. And it's blowing my mind, like God's grace or the way God feels about me or them, or I never thought about this before. I'm like, just her face is lighting up as she's going through, you know, maybe not most people's top five books of the Bible, Leviticus. But she's in a regular rhythm of being in the word, in a regular rhythm of not just rehearsing it, but actually letting it take hold and take root. This is how you become like a tree planted by living water. This is how we're evergreen. This is a big part of how you can last through any winter. We recognize our ability to mind our mind, to get quiet day after day, devouring the word with expectancy that we will actually encounter God there. Let me close here with a quote from George Muller. The vigor of our spiritual life will be in exact proportion to the place held by the Bible in our life and thoughts. Let me just stop there for a minute. This is why I'm starting a series on rest where we'll explore play and joy and mental health and emotional health and all these different things. We start here because this is our starting point for refreshment and joy and mental health and play and sleep and the rest that God invites us into, the vigor of our spiritual life. You could say maybe the vigor of our rest will be in exact proportion to the place held by the scriptures in our life and thoughts. I solemnly state this from the experience of 54 years. The first three years after conversion, I neglected the word of God. Since I began to search it diligently, the blessing has been wonderful. Great has been the blessing from consecutive, diligent, daily study. I look upon it as a lost day when I have not had a good time over the word of God. You ever heard someone say like, man, I like feel horrible. I haven't worked out in so long. 
Not like they feel horrible, like they don't like how they look, like they actually feel horrible. Any of those people bother you to no end? John Shuchuk. Anyone? <laughs> I just pick on John when it comes to working out. Um, why? Because you've gotten into a rhythm. And now it's like it's hard for me to imagine not working out these muscles and not working out my heart and not feeling the way I feel. I can feel it in my bones. And so we read the scriptures as we can, not as we can't. Don't try to take on like Bible in a year and 16 apps and commit to it like 30 minutes in the word every morning. Like, unless you're a very internally motivating person, it's not going to be helpful. Begin as you can, but keep that rhythm and it will move you into delight and joy. And then like Georgie here, <laughs> great has been the blessing from consecutive, diligent, daily study. I look upon it as a lost day. Like I see this day as like not as great if I have not had good time over the word of God. Anyone else desire that for this summer? And maybe you're there and this is just like a, man, I'm in the right spot. I cannot wait to keep going. But Holy Spirit, I just want to pray over my brothers and sisters right now in this moment that as people who... Um, want to have something to give. As we um, speak the gospel and share the gospel, and as we do justice, and as we love mercy, these things that you invite us to, as we disciple and help others walk in the path of Jesus the way you've called us to, Lord, we can do that from a deeply, emotionally unhealthy, anxiety-ridden place, or we can do that from the holy rest that the Son of God invites us into. And so we commit to you, Lord. We pledge to you this summer that when we are in town, we're going to be in this space reflecting and meditating together on rest. That we are going to engage in the songs that are chosen by our team this summer to allow the beauty of love and grace and peace that will be sung over us and surrender to enter in fully. And that we in our private life would take seriously the word of God to refresh and restore. That we would get up early or stay up a little bit later. That we would find that chair, that corner of the room and mark out that place and spend time with you. Amen. So church, as we move to a communion, I want to read the words of John 15 over you in the spirit of this talk. I want to invite you for a moment to simply, um, in just these brief few minutes, and as you then come down the aisle to take communion, to let the scripture wash over you, to meditate on these words and allow them to shape our experience at the table where we taste and smell and see and ingest the very love and forgiveness and beauty of God. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. That's like if you walk in my way, you'll be able to remain in it, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you this, that my joy may be in you. How many want the joy of Jesus in them? Come on. May the joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. How do you have complete joy on a day like today? Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. I want to encourage you, don't jump to mission in that next part, though that's critical. But know that the God who calls you friend has laid down his life for you, and this is what we get to encounter again at the communion table. This is what love is, that God laid down his life for even you. Remain in my love. Holy Spirit, would you come and help us to remain in your love today? Holy Spirit, would you minister to us before we get home and before we make commitments to open up the scriptures, before we begin our routine Monday morning? Would you right now, Lord, might we experience all over again the great refreshment as we meditate on this passage, as we hold this passage in front of us? Holy Spirit, would you remind us and rekindle, Lord, your love for us in our hearts and souls. Restore unto us the joy of your salvation. So church, if you are here and a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to come forward. You can come forward to pray. Emily and others will be in the corner if you'd like to receive just a blessing or prayer. Maybe for you, just the blessing and commission of like, I'm going to meditate on the word. Would you just bless me to do that? And then we're going to come forward and we're going to take the bread and take the cup and we're going to remember Jesus' words together to his disciples. He said on the night that he was betrayed, he broke bread. He said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup after dinner saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This is the way that we are going to relate to one another from now on. This grace covenant. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me? And would you, from the front to the back, begin to come up the center aisle? Take the bread and the cup, and you can stay by the altar up front if you like, or you can go and pray, or you can head back to your seat. And we're just going to spend our last few minutes together with this verse. If you could put that verse back up, Chaku. Just kind of hanging over us before we lead into a time of singing. The other one. (laughs) Thanks, bro. Holy Spirit, come. Would you come forward? Let's take the bread and the cup together.